root beer floats and everything. It was awesome. So, well, listen, this morning we are going to be in the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those up. Uh, the Gospel of Luke is in the New Testament, if you're not familiar with your Bible. It's uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke. If you uh, have a table of contents, you may want to go to the front of your Bible and look that up, see what page number it is. It's going to be Luke chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 16 is where we're going to start. So I'll give you a second to turn there. And before we get started, I'd like to open us up with a word of prayer. Father, we just uh, come before you uh, this morning, and we just thank you for the opportunity to worship you corporately. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to, to sing praises and songs to you. And God, there's no one like you. Uh, never has been, never will be. And we, we thank you that, that, God, you are who you are, and we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for Jesus. And Father, I just pray now that as we uh, study your word, as we worship you through the word, that you will uh, just fill this place, and God, that your spirit would just move, and God, that you would just open our minds and our hearts, and that we would just receive your word, Father, that we would um, hear what you have to say to us. Father, most importantly, may you just be honored and glorified today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, how many of you have had or currently do have a junk drawer in your house? Let me see those hands. Yes. Yes. You know that stuff that you can't seem to find a place. So where does it go? Junk drawer, right? Of course. It goes in the junk drawer. It's, it's a drawer that gets all the, in our, in our house, it gets all the coupons. We've got batteries. And I don't even know if the batteries work or not. There's just the batteries in there. We got glue sticks, we got keys that I have no idea what they go to. They're just in there, right? We've got, uh, I mean, we've got just a, a big mess. It's, 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 it's just clutter is what it is. Now, I'm going to take it a step further, okay? How many of you guys have a junk closet in your house? Now, some of you may have a junk room, okay? I'm not going to go that far today. Uh, I'm not going to go that far. I'm not going to cross those boundaries. How many of you have a junk closet, all right? I would venture to say that, that our closet is worse than, a, worse than our junk drawer, okay? Uh, the closet uh, in our house houses our vacuums, because we've got to have, you know, I'm a, I'm a neat freak except for that closet, all right? We've got to have vacuums, Swiffers, some of Jude's toys are in there, uh, our jackets, in there, jackets are in there, and the jackets are jam-packed so tight in there, sometimes that when I go to put a jacket up, instead of hanging it on the hanger, I just open up the door and throw it in there. I'm like, I don't I'm just put in there, okay? We got janks up. We got blankets up on top of the shelf. We got some of Jude's toys. We've got a baby bath seat up on top of there. We got game console boxes up there. I mean, it's just crazy. Sometimes Robin and I will be sitting on the couch watching TV, and I'm not kidding you. Sometimes we'll hear something fall from that closet, and we look at each other like, "What in the world?" You know? You know, the junk closet is the closet where you, you go to open it up and you stand back to see, you know, something's going to fall out. You know what I mean? It's that closet that whenever family or guests come over, you don't want them opening that closet up. You know what I mean? All right. Last week, Neil kicked off a month-long series on marriage leading up to our Art of Marriage weekend at the end of this month. The sermon series is titled Clearing Clutter. 
And the reality this morning is, is that just like the junk drawer or closet in our house, we all have junk or clutter in our marriage. Now, I want to be honest with you this morning. I want to shoot you straight, okay? Um, for those of you that have been married for any length of time, you know it didn't take very long for you to be disappointed in your marriage. Now, first service was like, no, whatever. Yeah, okay, let's be honest. Let's be honest, okay? I remember when Robin and I got married, we uh, went to our honeymoon, we went to Mexico, and we spent seven days of marital bliss in Mexico. We, drive, uh, we fly back to uh, Charlotte International Airport, and Robin's like, we could get back late at night. Robin was like, why don't you just get a hotel room, we'll stay the night there, we'll drive back the next day. Nah, I can do it, we can do it, I can drive back. So we get back to Charlotte International Airport, we hop in the car, hit 77 North, hit 81 North, somewhere around 2 o'clock in the morning, we're driving up 81 North, you know those rumple strips on the side of the road? I veer off and I hit the rumple strips, Robin's been asleep, she wakes up startled, and it's like, it just breaks out, I man, we start throwing down right there, we start throwing down right there on Interstate 81, man, I mean, I, I'm not kidding, this is like 2 o'clock in the morning, man, we're saying, it was like, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, what, seven days, I'm like, what have I done, you know, what have I done, I'm like, what, this is crazy, and listen, when you're dating, man, you're showing your best side, showing your best side, they're, they're seeing you at your best, you talk to couples getting married, and they say things like, Hey, I just don't know that I could ever, ever get mad at him or her. She is just so perfect, right? And so what ends up happening is couples go into marriage with this unrealistic expectation that everything is going to be roses and chocolate. Listen, if you're not married this morning and you're looking to get married, please, please, please don't go into marriage with unrealistic expectations. So when you get married, you begin to see a different side. And it's not a good side. You start to pick up on things like, you going fishing again? You going hunting again? You seem to lose your temper a lot more. Uh, you drinking from that milk card, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> at our house, now at our house, it usually sounds like this, and don't judge me, okay? <laughs> you wearing that same shirt you wore yesterday? <laughs> of course, it doesn't smell. <laughs> yeah? Spray, spray a little swagger on it, it'd be good. Yeah. You going to watch football all day long? Why can't you put your dishes in the dishwasher? The dishwasher's right there. Instead of... and, and here's the reality this morning. Listen to me. All right? Here's the reality. I'm a flawed person. You're a flawed person. And we, just, we can't escape the brokenness of this world. You will not be able to avoid the sin of your spouse. Now, if that sounds depressing this morning, the good news is, is we serve a God that is in the business of redeeming our clutter. He's in the business of redeeming our marriage. And the most important thing you can do is ground your marriage in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to understand that Jesus didn't just die for my past sins. He didn't die just for my future benefits, but he died for my present realities. We need to understand that the present benefits of the grace of Jesus Christ. And see, that begins by each of us recognizing our deep need for Jesus, for grace. And when you experience God's ginormous grace in your life, you want to extend that grace to your spouse. That you no longer seek justice, but rather you show grace. 
See, it's about a flawed person living with a flawed person in a fallen, broken world, but with a faithful God. Amen? Amen. So we got to start there. We can't understand marriage without the gospel. So today I want to talk specifically about the clutter of greed. The clutter of greed. Now, now before you check out on me and say this sermon doesn't apply to me or my marriage, listen to what Jesus' definition of greed is. You ready? This is what Jesus said greed is. Jesus said that greed is simply the desire to have more. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that I desire to have more more often than not. Okay? The essence of greed is simply self-centeredness or selfishness. The world revolves around me and, 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 and wanting things just for yourself. Listen, I, I could bring Robin up on stage today, and I'm not going to. And we could tell story after story of how I've been wrapped up in me throughout our marriage. Okay, and I'm just going to be honest with you, man. The gospel is just working in me, and it continues to work in me. But then I thought, wait, if, if, if all I talk about is me, isn't that self-centeredness? <laughs> yeah? There, and it, just, it would just defeat the purpose. And what I want you to know this morning is there are many forms of greed. We can desire popularity. We can desire to be liked more. We can desire power, the desire to have power over people. But for today's purposes, we're going to focus the majority of our time talking about money. And that's because most couples' disagreements revolve around the issue of money. Yeah, how will we, how will we spend it? How will we budget it? How, how much do we save? But ultimately, what we want to know is, is how much I get to spend on me, right? How much will I get to, to play golf this month or do what I want to do? Now, if you're new to this whole following Jesus thing, or if you're visiting church today for the first time, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, great, money. That's all churches ever talk about is money. Or, or you may be thinking, greed, I, I'm not greedy. I can, I can go ahead and tune Aaron out. I can go ahead and, and, and surf Facebook or surf Twitter. But the truth is, greed is almost impossible to find in your junk drawer. I mean, you can sit there and you can search for it, you can search for it, and it's just almost impossible to find it. It's very deep in that drawer. And I don't know about you, Neil, but I've never had anybody come up to me and say, hey, Aaron, can you pray for me, man? I'm just really greedy. <laughs> this has never happened before. You know, this has never happened. But I want you to know that in the Old Testament and New Testament combined, there are about 800 passages on wealth. This includes saving, spending, investing, tithing, running a business, and running a family budget. Jesus' ministry lasted for three and a half years and during that time, he talked about money 25% of the time. Jesus tells 38 parables. Parable is just a story, illustration. 16 of those 38 parables deal with the subject of money. When, when Jesus spoke on idolatry on the Sermon on the Mount, his, his only application was in the area of money. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to, the, to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So, so why does Jesus and God give so much attention to the subject of money? Well, here's what God knows about you and me, and it's been true from the beginning of humanity. God's chief competition for your heart, God's chief competition for my heart and my devotion, and for your loyalty and for your fellowship and your service, God's chief competitor isn't Satan. 
You and your spouse don't sit at home debating whether or not you should worship Satan or God, do you? But I bet you debate about money. What do we do about greed and the desire to have more? Now, I want to tell you the opposite of greed is generosity. And generosity is a greed killer. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But before we get too crazy with the cheese whiz, right, the real issue this morning isn't greed. The real issue isn't greed. See, greed is just a symptom of a deeper problem, and the deeper problem is our heart. So Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, if all we do is treat the symptom, which is greed and not the root issue, which is our heart, then we're not really growing into wholeness as a disciple of Jesus. And that's the beauty of marriage. Through your marriage, God is discipling you. Do you realize that? God is discipling you through your marriage because marriage will expose your need for Jesus. Amen. Come on. He will expose your need for grace. If you want your true heart revealed, get married. Let me say it this way. Before I got married, if you would have told me that I was self-centered, I would have said, you're crazy. I would have said I was the most generous, most selfless person there was. I was awesome before I got married. All right? I get married, I find out I'm not so awesome. I find out I'm not so awesome. Marriage exposed my weakness and helped me realize my need for God's grace and my need for Jesus. That's the gospel. Your marriage relationship is probably the only relationship you have where you are as close to being fully known as earthly possible. Your spouse knows just about everything. You are vulnerable, and it exposes our need for Jesus. You see a common theme going on here? Jesus. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. And if you want your heart further revealed, have kids, right? And so Jesus is going to passionately pursue our hearts. He wants you to surrender to him so he can make us clean from the inside out. He wants us to surrender so that he can give us his Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. See, if Jesus is going to clear the clutter of greed from our marriage, he's got to start with the heart. Because you can have right action. Listen to me, all right? This is important. You can have right action. But if you don't have a right heart, God is not pleased. You can read from Genesis to Revelation, and God and Jesus both condemn right action without the right heart. It's the way it is, man. We are constantly telling Jude, we wake up in the morning, and our number one goal with Jude, my, my three-and-a-half-year-old son, we say, man, your goal today is to have a happy heart. Happy heart. Because here's the thing, man. I can be generous. I said generosity is a greed killer. Here, here's the issue. You can be generous all day long, but if you don't have a happy heart, God's not pleased with that. If I tell you to clean up his toys and he, and he does it with a, I don't know, but he does it, he does, is that doing him any good? Do you see the point I make? Happy heart. Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, and I inserted, happy heart giver. He loves a happy heart giver. So what does that look like to clear the clutter of greed from our lives and our marriage? Well, Jesus helps us with a story. You guys want to read it? Huh? Do you guys want to read it? 
Okay, okay. I, I was about ready to walk off the stage. All right. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. You ready? This is what he says. This, let me just a little bit of background, just real quick, okay? Jesus has been teaching a large crowd. He's been talking about how, uh, what it means to be a disciple. And then there's this guy in the crowd uh, that uh, I guess is just oblivious, okay? And he says, hey, Jesus, I want you to tell my brother to share our inheritance. And the reason why he asked Jesus to do that is because in the Old Testament, the law was that the older brother got more than the younger brother, okay? And so this guy's like, look, Jesus, I can't help. I was born second. Uh, it's not my fault. So can you ask my brother to kind of share the inheritance? And, and so this is what Jesus says. He launches into this story, and he says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now, the danger in reading this, this parable is we can think, okay, that's a great story, but here's the deal. I'm not rich. Now, I don't, I don't think I need to go into uh, any great detail or lecture you to try to prove that we are a blessed nation, right? You guys understand that. And if you don't believe that you're blessed, just sign up and come to Haiti with me this summer, and you'll see how blessed you are. But, but please understand that I'm not telling you this to make us feel guilty about what we have. I mean, listen, if you have nice stuff, man, that's great. That's not Jesus' point in the story. His point is that the man believed his stuff was all for his consumption. That's what greed is. He believed his stuff could do for him what only God can do. See, this man believed his money and wealth gave him life security. He says, I've got plenty of good things stored up for many years. I'm financially set, man. I'm good to go. See, he believed he needed to save up just in case because you never know what might happen. Do we believe that if we accumulate enough, then we won't have any worries? Do we believe that, that God is going to take care of us? Are we putting our trust and hope in him? See, just a few verses down in, in Luke 12, 29 and 31, Jesus says, Don't be concerned about what to eat or what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. See, what Jesus is doing is he is dialing us into how fear and anxiety works by saying, Be careful what value you give certain things. Because the more value you give, the more fear and anxiety will set in. Now, money is important, right? I mean, we all agree money is important. We pay rent with it. We buy clothes with it. We buy food with it. We buy clothes with it. We send our kids to college with it. But what Jesus is saying is we better not do is make money too important. When talking about fear and anxiety, we're actually talking about who is sovereign and reigning rule of your life. You ever notice that the nicer stuff you have, the more you fret about it? You know what I'm talking about? Like you, you go buy a new car as opposed to a used car. Right? You, you're going to take more care of, of the newer car, right? I mean, we'll, 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 uh, we will park a half a mile from Walmart door to ensure that our car doesn't get dinged or scratched, right? Like we fret about it. We worry about this, right? Yeah, it's funny. Robin and I have had to, uh, to learn this, uh, this reality here just in the last month or so. 
we, uh, we've got, I said, I said, our three-and-a-half-year-old Jude. I know I use him a lot in illustrations, but uh, he's, just, he's good fodder, man. He's just good. And uh, we've had to learn this lesson just within the last, uh, last month. Uh, we have, when we moved to Chester, we bought this nice solid wood table, man. We were stoked about it. We were like, oh, this table's awesome. This dining room table, we loved it. This and that, blah, blah. Well, when Robin was in the hospital with uh, Shepard, Robin's sister was here with Jude. And uh, we always let Jude uh, color with uh, washable markers on the table, this and that, blah, 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 with paper. Well, she let him have a pen. And what she didn't realize was happening is Jude was digging through the paper with the pen. <sighs> I get teared up. No, no I'm, just, I'm just kidding. But, I mean, I'm not talking just to scratch. It looks like hieroglyphics on our table, right? I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. And, uh, and so you start, you start to fret about that stuff, you know. And, and then just yesterday, okay, this happened just yesterday. Now, I'm going to share this with you, okay, so don't think I'm a bad parent. But I had baby Shep, baby Shepherd, and I had him downstairs, and I was giving him a bottle. I was letting Robin sleep in, get some rest, and Jude's downstairs with me. He says, Hey, Daddy, I'm going to go upstairs. We usually keep all of our doors shut, just so you know. But for some reason, Baby Shepherd's room was open. And uh, he's up there for a few minutes. He comes downstairs. He says, Hey, Daddy, Daddy, come up and see what I did. Okay, let's go see what you did. That boy <laughs> had taken diaper cream rash and hand sanitizer and squirted it all over the, uh, the end table there, the night table. Right? And I walk in, I'm like, you know, and I'm like, I even went and I said, I said, baby, I said, I know you need this, you got to come in and see this, what, what do we got to do, you know, and it just, it started to eat through the wood, yeah, it's, it's I know, uh, I'm heartbroken, but that's what happens, man, we start to fret, we start to fret, you know what I'm saying, yeah, this man, I know, well, it's funny, it's funny, I, I've said this, I said, I haven't even told have I not said in the last couple of days, I, last couple of weeks I've said, I'm never, ever going to buy anything not nice again. I never, never. We're buying junk stuff. I don't care what it is, all right? Junk stuff. This man held on so tightly to his things, he started referring to them as mine. He refers to himself nine times in two verses. He says, my crops, my barns, my grain. You guys, you guys ever seen the movie Lord of the Rings? You know the Gollum, Gollum character? Uh, he, 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 he finds the ring and it changes him. He says, what does he say? He says, my precious, my precious. Yeah. And you see what that does to him. See, the man failed to recognize who the source of his good things came from. And I think that's easy to do, is it not? Who gives us these good things? Who gives us these good things, church? God. It's, 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 it's God's car. It's God's money. It's God's house. And I've been saying, God, this is your furniture, right? It's your furniture now. Right? You know? No, 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 I'm just kidding. But here's the thing. We, we can start to teach our kids that too, right? It's, 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 it's God's toys. It's funny. Jude has a chair in his room, and, and I'll go in there, and I'll sit down in his chair, and he'll be on his bed. And you know what he says to me? He says, Daddy, get out of my chair. Oh, this is your chair. Yeah. I take it out of his room. I say, you see what your chair, chair is now. You know, it's not in your room anymore. I don't do that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I want to do that. I want to do that. And someday I will. Someday I will. But you get my point? You get my point? Keep, the, keep our perspective on what we have, okay? Keep your perspective. It's, it's God's. It's not ours. He's just loaning it to us. Loaning it to us. 
and uh, also believed his wealth gave him satisfaction. He said, eat, drink, and be merry. Man, if we could just have a little more, we'd be satisfied, right? You guys ever watch House Hunters? You know what I'm saying? That show wears me out, man. That show wears me out. <laughs> it's funny to watch, man. They almost always go for the bigger house with the bigger budget because that's what's going to satisfy them, right? That's what's going to bring them ultimate satisfaction. I love the beginning of the show, man, because they start talking about their wish list, right? Man, I need ten bedrooms, I need four bathrooms, I need an office, I need a five-car garage. I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. See, greed says, I owe me. It doesn't matter what you do or how much you have, you'll always have a level of discontentment. And we keep consuming and consuming, and we try to keep up with the Joneses until we find ourselves in debt up to our eyeballs. And you want to talk about putting a strain on your marriage? Man, debt will do it, won't it? You start fighting about money all the time. Ecclesiastes 1.8 says, Everything is wearisome, beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. And not only will debt strain the marriage, but also buying into this lie that your spouse will satisfy you or complete you. Thank you, Jerry Maguire, for that poor theology. You guys ever seen Jerry Maguire? What is he? He stands out there. He says, what? You complete me. If you've ever said that to your spouse, man, I'm sorry. You need to repent. Listen, I, I love my wife, and, and she is awesome, and she's my best friend, and she's a gift from God, but she is not my God. She has not completed me, and she has not satisfied my soul. If your expectation on your spouse, or anybody for that matter, is to feel that emptiness in you, you're just setting yourself up for conflict. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? They can't do the impossible. See, what we're doing is we're putting an expectation for the other person to be what they can never be, and you're setting yourself up for great disappointment. See, only the creator of the universe can satisfy our souls. He is the one that completes us and makes us who we ought to be. God alone. And there are tons of verses in the Bible that talk about that. Finally, the man believed his wealth gave him significance. His identity was found in his stuff. Now, I've said this before. I've said your identity will determine your activity. Listen, if your identity is in your stuff, you'll always be in pursuit of better and bigger stuff. If your identity is in your work, you'll always feel the need to work more and more and more. If your identity is in your spouse, you're placing a burden on them they can't carry. Listen, no matter how much stuff you accumulate, it has no accreditation before God. Do you understand that? Like, it doesn't matter how much you have, you're not going to be able to stand before God and say, God, look at all my stuff I've got. Surely that's worth something. No, no. God says your identity is rooted in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's rooted in what Christ did on the cross for you. And if you have surrendered your life to Jesus and you've repented of your sins and you've confessed Jesus as Lord, then you are one of his very own children and that is what makes you valuable. Do you understand that? That's what gives you validation. That's what your identity should be in. See, the landowner was greedy, and he believed his wealth was only for his consumption. So, so God kills the man. And the man stands before God to give an account of his life. And, and so you just got to imagine this guy standing before Jesus. He's like, 
He's like, hey, Jesus, what's going on? He says, I didn't expect to see you so soon. What's up? Jesus replies, he says, what did you do with all that money I gave you? Oh, well, you know, I got new rims on my camel. I bought more camels. I got gold-plated doors for my barns. I'm sorry, Jesus, is that not what you were looking for? Jesus says, this is how it will be for those that store up for themselves and are not rich toward God. He suffered a total reversal of fortune and death. This man couldn't see beyond this life. He, he, he was living for this life and not eternity. He lost everything in this life and had nothing to show for it in the next. And in Jesus' words, he was a fool. Let's not be a fool. See, life is not found in an abundance of possessions, but it's found in being rich in Christ and generous towards others. To be greedy is to rob ourselves of the joy and depth of life that Christ came to bring us. See, we've been blessed by God to reveal his glory throughout the world, and, and the way that we do that is through generosity. I love 2 Corinthians 8 9. Paul is writing, and he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your, yet for your sakes he became poor. Jesus, who was rich in heaven, came to earth as a man. God came to earth as a man, became poor. Became poor for our sakes. So that, that in him we might, so that in, by his poverty we might become rich. That's the gospel, man. That is the gospel. Jesus lived without sin. He went to the cross. He died in our place for our sins. And listen, this is what I tell the kids all the time. It's like, man, you, you stand before God like this man stands before God. And if God sees you, if he sees Aaron Hoback, I'm in trouble. Because you know why? I'm sinful. But if I have placed my trust and what Christ did for me on the cross, because he paid my debt of sin, if I have surrendered my life to him, and I've repented of my sins, and I've confessed him as Lord, then Jesus' perfect life that he lived here on earth, his righteousness, is given to me. So that when I stand before God, he doesn't see sinful Aaron, but he sees righteous Jesus. I mean, amen, right? Dude, that makes me want to cry. <laughs> That's awesome. That's the gospel. That's grace. That's being generous. God is generous. Church, do you understand that? Man, so practically, what does that look like for you and for your marriage? Well, first and most important, we need to be generous with our sin. We need to give God our sin. Like, we shouldn't have any problem with that. That should be the very first thing we do. We, like that, if we have a problem with anything else, that should be the one thing we don't have a problem with, right? God, take my sin. Every single bit of it. Lay it at the foot of the cross. He wants to take our sin. Give him our sin. Surrender to him and allow the Holy Spirit to take up residence in your life and begin changing you from the inside out. Allow the Holy Spirit to empower you and change you. Secondly, as a couple, work on getting out of debt. I mean, how often do you find yourself wanting to be generous, but debt hinders you from being generous? You know what I'm saying? 
I tell you, there are great resources available, and I know that we've, we've talked here at church about offering some of these classes in the future. And, but Crown Financial, if you want to write that down, is a great resource. Dave Ramsey is another great resource, right, Patrick? You know, Robin and I did Dave Ramsey a few years ago, and I'll just, I'll just give this disclaimer. We didn't follow Dave Ramsey to a T, but we did Dave Ramsey, man, and some of the principles, and it, it helped us tremendously. It was great. We loved it. Set up a budget. Set up a budget. Third, be generous with your time. Serve those that are less fortunate, man. We provide opportunities here at church of all different kinds of levels. You know, you can serve at Hyde Park. We do things over here at Hyde Park, this community. We do things at Harrogate Elementary. We do things at Detention Center in Chesterfield. We've got a group that goes there about every other Tuesday. And next weekend, we've got a group going to Epiphany for prison ministry. Go to the nursing home. Go to the retirement home. Be generous with your time. Serve with your family. Serve with, take your kids with you. Be a mentor. Be generous with your time. Finally, be generous with your wealth. Man, give a percentage to the church. Tithe. If you're new to this whole tithing thing and you don't understand what that means, listen, I would encourage you to attend Jumpstart that starts tonight. And I know Neil talks about that in the class, and we could, we could kind of walk you through and what that means and, and how that's going to help you grow as a disciple of Jesus. See, like the landowner, God has entrusted us with very, very much. Let's be generous. Let's glorify God, leave a legacy, and make a difference. What do you think? Can we do it? I know we can with the help of Jesus, right? With the help of Jesus. Well, I want to close out with prayer, but I want to give you some instructions on what's going to happen next. Um, band's going to come out, and we're going to continue to worship. We're going to uh, sing uh, a few songs. And over here to my right, uh, I've got a table set up for communion. And um, during, that three, during those three songs, I want you to, to get up whenever you feel led or whenever you're comfortable and, uh, and walk over because the very first thing we want to do is we just want to thank God for his generosity, right? That's what communion is about. We've got a cup of juice. We've got some bread over there. You take the bread, take the juice. It represents Christ's body. It represents his blood that was shed for us. So the very first thing we want to do, man, is just, God, thank you for your generosity. Thank you. And then over here by the cross, I've got a basket for you to, to come over and be generous with your offering. Put your tithes and offering in that basket. Can you guys hear me over here? Okay, I didn't know if I was cutting out. And then, and then we've got uh, two tables back here uh, that's got Epiphany Ministry on it, the prison ministry that I, that I share with you guys. Be generous with your time. And go back there and, and, and write your name on one of them and just say, God bless you, praying for you. And then there's a card you can fill out and write a note of encouragement. Does that, does that make sense? you guys understand what I'm saying? So during those three songs, man, that's what I want you to do. Now, I know we, we could get crowded over here, so, so maybe a section at a time go. Maybe this section go first, and then this section and that section. That way we're not congested over here. Does that make sense? But we got plenty of time, three songs, and let's just do that, all right? Let, let's, let's close out and pray. Father God, I just uh, I thank you. God, I thank you for your generosity. I thank you for I thank you for marriage and how it just exposes our weakness and our need for you, God. I love how you set that up. 
Father, that's my prayer today, is that we would recognize our sinfulness and that we would see our need for you. That's my prayer all the time. I pray, Father, that we would just allow the Spirit to just move through this place, to penetrate our hearts. God, for us to look, look deep in our junk drawer. God, I just allow you to surrender our hearts to you, Father. And that's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand together.